You've been hearing how some big brands are winning through simplicity. But don't get intimidated. You can do this too, no matter the size of your team or your budget. Want to learn the six behaviors you can instill to create simple experiences for your customers and your team members? Download a free copy of my simple playbook today. It'll help you immediately turn your customer experience around and create an Amazon experience without having an Amazon budget. Grab your copy of my simple playbook at mattliles.com slash simple playbook. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. I've been a solopreneur for a little over a year now, and I'm still loving it. I love the work I get to do. I love the people I get to help. I love the challenges. I love the freedom. But don't get me wrong. I love my previous career, and I still miss a number of things about it. But the one thing I miss the most, the people. And it's not just because I like being around people. Hey, I'm an ENFP on the Myers-Briggs scale. It's because I recognize that I wouldn't have made any accomplishments. I wouldn't have had my career achievements without the people around me. The truth is, whatever big thing you're creating, whatever dream you're chasing, whatever challenges you're overcoming, it's not a solo venture. You need the help and support of your people. And the best leaders are the ones who don't take their people for granted. Whether it's their team members, their leadership chain, their professional network, their friends, and especially their family. The best leaders are the ones who are constantly seeking to serve their people. And it turns out that doing so actually helps them become an even more successful leader. That's why I'm glad to talk with this week's guest, Brian Dixon. Brian's a podcaster, a speaker, a business coach, and he's the best-selling author of Start With Your People, The Daily Decision That Changes Everything. Brian and I talk about how focusing on and putting your people first can accelerate your life and your business success. Let's take a listen. Hey, Brian, how are you doing today? Hey, Matt, I'm really honored to be here. Oh, well, thanks for being here. This is going to be fun. I love Start With Your People, and I love Thank the you. concept of putting people first. It's so important. It's, it's not something that came naturally to me, but over time as an entrepreneur, growing and scaling the business, realizing that if you don't start with your people, that profits, projects, even your purpose, everything else, it all kind of falls apart because your relationships are kind of on fire all around you. So it's a really important message to help get out. Well, yeah. And recognizing that nobody really does this alone. Nobody does it by themselves. Even if you are a solopreneur, You've got people around you that are supporting you. And if they're not effective, then you're not going to be effective either. Yeah. So you say that it didn't come out naturally with you at first. And in your book, you actually open up with a story that brought about this epiphany of starting with your people. Can Brutal. you share the story here? Oh, absolutely. 
I used to be in education. I was, a, I was a classroom teacher for seven years and then I got into school administration and I had the opportunity to start a charter school, which is kind of like the dream world for an entrepreneur, an educational entrepreneur, which is what I've always considered myself. I have all these business ideas about online courses and websites and selling things from home, but I also love education. I loved working with kids. I loved teaching teachers about technology. I loved working with parents. So I had this opportunity to start this school and so all of that was going pretty well. And then I, I just got the bug to start my own thing, right? To quit the nonprofit, which I didn't really own, and to start my own agency, start my own marketing agency. And I was about a year in. And at first it was doing pretty well. And then over time, it kind of just started to die <laughs> because I would I'd make really good first impressions. But over time, those relationships would kind of fade or kind of there'd be some distance. And it was one of those seasons in life where you're like, I think everyone knows something that I don't know. Like, have you ever been in that kind of situation in life where, do I have something on my face? Like, what is it that is not working here? And, And the way that it exhibited itself is people would do a project with me. The project would go really well from my perspective. And then I would reach out to say, hey, you ready for project two? Like, let's get started on the beginning phases. And literally people would fall off the map. Like, I just wouldn't hear from them at all. And after it it happened about the third or fourth time, I said, wait a second, there's something that I don't know. And at the time I I just interviewed a, like a business coach. And right at the end of our interview, he said, if you really want to take your life in the business to the next level, do a 360 assessment. And I'd never heard, Matt, have you heard of a 360 assessment? Oh yeah. I've taken a few of them in my career and they're eye opening. Right? So I had never heard. So for, for those who are unfamiliar, basically imagine you're standing like in the middle of a room and you can decide who comes in the room, but the real way to do it is you bring in people who are for you and they're your fans, but you also bring in some people you've had some disagreements with, some people you've had some challenges with. And imagine if they're standing in a circle around you and they're telling you honestly what they think. Now, obviously it's online, right? So it's basically filling out an anonymous survey and there's three main questions. What is Matt great at? Where is Matt stuck or what's Matt really, where's Matt kind of failing? And if you could tell Matt anything anonymously, what would you say? And that's the, the kind of the gist of the 360 assessment. So I sent that out to former clients, current clients, team members, family members, pastors, friends, like just as many people as I could. And I had about 50, 55 responses and they had maybe three or four days to fill it out. And then reading through the results just A, it changed my world, but B, it just rocked me. Like it just knocked me over because time and time again, even though they had a lot of nice things to say, the criticism, the constructive criticism was, Brian, you've got to slow down. You've got to start with people. You've got to start putting people over your projects. And it was like a light bulb went off in my mind of how I was running over people in order to reach my goal and not including people in the journey. Wow. And that can be really scary opening up that report and seeing that criticism for the first time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it really was. And I I think we all have a choice. It's I call it the daily decision that changes everything. Because if you think about it, you really have a choice every day. Am I going to humble myself enough to be willing to 
listen, not necessarily follow, but at least listen to the feedback. Listen to the perspective of someone else. I still believe that you filter it. It doesn't just mean if they tell you one thing, you have to do it like yes man, right? Where everything somebody said to him, he had to go do, jump off a cliff or bungee jump or whatever. But I think it's really important to, especially as a leader, to just open yourself up to your team to say, I might not have all the answers. And I've learned to do that in the, in the three years since doing that 360 assessment. For example, just before you and I hopped on a call, I had open office hours for our team. Our, our company's really grown. We've got about 40 team members. And weekly, I just have these open office hours. And you can just pop in on a Zoom meeting, tell me what you're working on, ask me questions. And I really have sought to be a more collaborative leader. And I truly believe that we is better than me. Over the last three years after doing that 360 assessment, we have had better ideas, executed at a higher level, had more team buy-in and made so much money than ever before. And I really attribute so much of that to Brian taking the blinders off and starting to be real with the people that I lead and the people I work with. Oh, yeah. And when you take those blinders off and you get that feedback from others, it helps you to become that much more self-aware. Mm-hmm. There's a great book called Leadership and Self-Deception that I just read through a few weeks ago. And essentially it was, you can work inside the box or you can work outside the box. And the inside the box is where you're defending your own perspective. You're justifying the way things have to be or the way things are. And you're a little naive to the impressions of everybody else around you. Or you can get out of the box and look at the box, right? Look, look at the shell of Matt or this form of Brian and go, huh, Maybe that guy can do a little better in this area, or maybe that guy can be a little bit more vulnerable or a little bit more in tune with his emotions or whatever it is that you happen to struggle with. And that right there is really the heart of a great leader is someone who is collaborative and is willing to take the feedback even when it hurts. Oh, yeah. And one thing for people to understand is even if the feedback hurts, recognize that if someone is giving you that constructive criticism feedback, yeah. That means they care about you and your development and your growth. The people that really don't like you, the people that don't care about you, aren't going to take the time to give you that feedback. That's so right. recognize the feedback as a big gift. I love that. In doing the 360 assessment and reading through the responses, because some of them were fairly long, I mean, several paragraphs, I could kind of guess who <laughs> some of the people were because they didn't have to put their name or anything. But some of the details they included, and I would say, Matt, it was really easy to write off their feedback to say, well, I know the real story. They, they don't understand this one thing that, and wanting to defend myself. And exactly what you said is true. And realizing that just taking the time to give you the feedback means that they care. It means that they care enough to help you grow, even if that relationship is still a burnt bridge. I believe you can rebuild the bridge. So just know that many of those relationships have improved because they got to see some of my humility and vulnerability by trying to do, by doing this 360 assessment. But reading it, I was like, wow, that person, I'm thinking about this one specific person right now. That person, even though she kind of became an enemy in my life, she cared enough to take the time to tell me what she thought. Even if it was hurtful, it actually was still helpful in the end. Because I could filter it and look at it and go, okay, she does have, even if she's 99% wrong, there's still that 1% truth which can still help me move forward. And sometimes it's also just the perception mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. can you do to influence others' perception of you. Yeah. So getting that self-awareness through assessments like a 360-degree assessment, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. a huge first step. 
but that's just the first step or even the step before the first steps to where you start with your people and you start putting people first. So then from there, how do you go about defining who your people are and which Mm -hmm. people do you start with? That's such a great question. I have found that there is a tendency in our work life to believe that success happens outside of our home. That new client or that promotion or that speaking gig or that podcast sponsorship, like whatever your, or that book deal, like whatever your big goal is, that it happens outside, that it happens out there. And you need to leave your people at the breakfast table in order to go make it happen, right? Go win the day by going out there. But what I've actually found is your people are those people at your breakfast table, whether that's your wife, your girlfriend. For me, it's my wife and my three little kids. That if I don't show up for them, if I'm not the fully expressed and empowered man and leader and father and husband and friend that I can be at the breakfast table before the day starts, that the rest of the day, I mean, the rest of the day can be ruined just just candidly. And I think we've all had that where we have a a fight or a, a quick disagreement as we're walking out the door and then we have to go face the commute. And it's just like the whole day snowballs out of control, right? Oh, yeah. and, and you have that pitch meeting that you're excited about. And it really started, this is what I started to realize, that your day starts not at the breakfast table, not when you drive in your parking spot or when you hop on the Zoom call, when your workday starts. Your workday starts actually when you first wake up. And so I realized that the best thing that you can do is have a really solid morning routine because especially with little kids, and I'm, I'm sure some people listening right now are in that zone. And depending on when you're listening, we're still we're recording this in that time of Corona that we'll all look back and remember one day. Uh, we were stuck inside with our people. And I've realized that if I don't have a good hour to myself, working out, getting some reading in, getting some prayer time in before I see anyone's face, I'm going to start the day out rough and kind of grumpy and kind of irritable. So I believe the best thing that you can do is to get ready to show up for your people, which for me includes like starts with my seven-year-old daughter. Like she's the first one up. She wakes up at 6.30, which means I need my own time. So I have to get up at five every day. So I have plenty of time to kind of do the things that are really important to me, like working out, like reading, like praying, like getting drink of water, that kind of thing. So that when she shows up in the morning, I'm not mad, I'm excited. I'm excited to see her. And my excitement towards her returns, right? It's, it's the law of reciprocity. So she gives me a big hug. She's excited to see me. Good morning, daddy, that kind of thing. Then I see my other kids. Then I see my wife. We're all on the same page. And then as the day starts, my friend, Carrie Oberbrenner, this is his quote, and I just love it. When my day starts, I show up filled up. And I think that's what true leaders do. We come to a Zoom conference, a Zoom meeting, or a, even an in-person event or a, or a boardroom or whatever it is, and we walk in and we show up filled up. We don't need anything from anybody there. We're actually over-delivering when we walk in. So much of that is up to us. We can't necessarily control all the circumstances all around us, but we can definitely control our attitude and our actions towards people. So starting with your people begins at home and it extends into the workplace. Awesome. And I've had that same epiphany as well. I love it. When I have a good morning routine where I take care of these certain things first, then I'm ready to help my people at Mm. home, like my wife, my children. And that really helps set the stage for the rest of the day. And being filled up before I show up, that helps set a proactive day versus a reactive day. 
Whereas if you're going to wake up around the same time as your kids and whatever else, and like, as soon as you're up, everything is flying at you. All you're doing is just reacting to everything. And if you're reacting to everything at the start of your day, you start to lose your willpower throughout the day. And it's, it's difficult to keep focusing on people at that point. Completely true. I love that. Well, what are some of the habits that leaders can put into place to ensure that they're putting their people first? There's so many things. I think my best advice when it comes to putting your people first is to create and study their manual. If you think about it, most tech gear comes with some sort of a manual. And you know, there's so many features, right? Just even like the the most recent TV I purchased had all of these features And if I didn't take the time to like kind of scan through the manual to see what the features were, I'm not using it to the highest level of capability. And in the same way, the people you work with, the people you live with are incredible. There are so many features, if you will, right? So so many strengths that they have, but we don't have any kind of systematic way of, people don't come with a manual, right? You don't meet your um, spouse or your kids or your team members and then it's like, here, here's my 55 page manual about exactly how to work with me effectively. Like it just doesn't work that way. So there are four tests that I have all of my team members take. My wife has taken them. My kids, as they're getting older, they've taken a few of them. And combining the results of these tests help to provide kind of not necessarily a user manual, but more like a guiding document to how do I navigate that relationship? So at our company, we love to talk about the Enneagram. This is that kind of how you see the world. Imagine everyone has tinted glasses. Some see blue, some see red, but it's all our own unique experience. And that's called the Enneagram. There's nine types. Are you familiar with the Enneagram, Matt? I am, yes. I'm an eight. You're an eight. Eights are some of my favorite people. Eights are known as the challengers or the defenders. I prefer the term defender. Our COO is an eight and a couple of our other team members are eights. And and what I love about an eight is that they are fiercely loyal, but they will tell you like it is. (laughs) And so knowing that about you, Matt, and if we were to work together on a project, knowing that you're an eight means that if you're coming across as a, a little aggressive towards me, I don't need to get my feelings hurt because you're an eight and you're doing it because you care. You're doing it because you want to defend the company. You want the project to succeed. So just the Enneagram has helped me see other people's intentions behind their words. Where one of our team members is a two, a helper, she's very timid to speak her viewpoint because she doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And she wants people to accept her and to know that she has a place there. So just learning your Enneagram type has allowed me to better navigate those relationships in our company. So Enneagram is the first one. Love languages, really important. For example, one of our team members, her love language is gifts. So I, I sent her just this little dumb thing, like the, the aqua notes, this little, like a post-it note you put in your shower so you can write down your ideas. Because she made a comment about how she has the best ideas in the shower, but she always forgets them. So I sent her this like $8 thing. And it just, you would have thought I gave her a car, you know, wow. because her love language is gifts. But others, their love language is words of affirmation. So telling them, great job, way to go. It just changes the way you interact when you understand the way that they see the world and the the way they interact with the world. I love that you've incorporated love languages into the workplace. Mm-hmm. And I started looking at that a couple of years ago and yep. tried to help people understand like my love language of words of affirmation and trying to recognize you know, the love language of other people that I work with. So great. There's two more. We also have the Colby, K-O-L-B-E, Colby A-Index. 
that's essentially the way you approach a project. And this was a recent discovery for me just a few years ago. But Colby, there's a few of them, but the ones that I I use are knowing the difference between somebody who's a fact finder and a quick start. Because we'll, we'll talk about a project as a team and then there are those that'll just get started right away. And I'm like, wow, they're amazing. Like they're doing work, this is great. And then there are others that seem to like research and research and research, but don't do anything. And what I realized is they actually approach projects differently because of what I've learned from Colby. And that helps me to put little micro, what we call squads, like little teams together. So I want to have somebody who's a fact finder. So they're doing the research and somebody who's a quick start. So they can kind of balance each other out when they're working on a project. Otherwise, if you have just a bunch of quick starts, they're going to do a lot of stuff but they're going to like, it's almost like a, 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 you know, a train that runs out of track. Like they're going to steam ahead, but then they're going to run out of road where the fact finders will build the road, but they'll never actually drive the car because they never get started. And so you need a little bit of a balance of both. So that's the Colby. And then the fourth one, which is pretty classic in, in the business world is strength finders. And, nice. and just the idea there, Clifton strength finders is I just want my team working in the top five as much as possible. So for example, if they're a futurist, I want them on that visionary meeting. But if they're not, maybe they shouldn't be there. Maybe there's a better place for them during that time. That makes so much sense. And I love personality assessments. At one time in my career, a handful of years ago, like I was really addicted to them. I was like, wow, like here's all my personality assessments. Um, Myers-Briggs, I'm an ENFP. And to me, it's not that it sets the standard or that everything is set in stone and saying like, well, this is how I am and this is how I operate, deal with it, or this is how others operate, deal with it. It's more around the perspective of others and how you can approach them, but also the perspective of your own self. If you know your personality assessment, you know where your strengths are, but you also know those tendencies you have that may kind of pull you back from your best work and to be able to be aware of those. That's right. And so the point of all that is like, that, that's my best tip is to get to know the way your team members see the world, the way that they process the world, the way that they hear your words, the words they need you to say. So slowing down, and it is analogous to like a remote control for a TV. Different TVs have different remote controls, different buttons do different things. And the more of familiar you are with the controls, the more value you're going to get out of that device. You think about the difference between like a Mac computer and a, and a Windows computer. Like they do basically the same thing, but they do it in different ways. And so obviously people are much more valuable than technology tools. But for me to look at the day and go, okay, this is the project I need to get done. Who on the team is available? How can I put together a mini team that can make sure that this project moves forward or make sure that this project has the right level of artistic design, the right level of sales strategy behind it? and getting to know your team by kind of putting together a little cheat sheet. So I literally have a, like a, a team member directory, a little Google spreadsheet. And before we hop on a call, actually, I, I try to keep it up as much as possible, just kind of in the, in the background. So as we're on a Zoom call, and I hear one of our team members, especially when they're expressing any kind of concern, or they seem to be hesitant about something, I'll just hop over there and I'll go, oh, yeah, that's right. They're in Enneagram 9. And that means that they want everybody to get along. And the reason they're hesitant is because it seems like we're fighting about something, but really we're just trying to work through a a difficult issue or like whatever it is. And just being able to point to that and go, oh, that makes so much more sense. And then I think as a leader, the next level is understanding, now what do I do? Now, how do I, for example, in Enneagram 9, a peacemaker, they need to know that their words are valuable. So even just saying, 
listen, I would love to hear from you. Can we schedule a call? Because I would just love your perspective because I really value your feedback. It would make their world, you know, but definitely their day by slowing down and knowing how to navigate those relationships. And it helps each of them, like based on how you approach them, based on what you offer to them, it helps them feel valued. And everyone wants to feel valued. That's right. It's not difficult to see how we can help and serve the people we lead. Hmm. But what about the people who are in our leadership chain or those who are higher up the ladder in our professional industry? How can we help and serve them and find out how we can put them first? I wish this was taught more frequently, more commonly. Here's the idea. Your number one client is your boss. Okay, one more time. Your number one client is your boss, your direct supervisor, and your only job is to make their day. If you approached your work life, and and I'm specifically talking employees here, but that's true if you're an entrepreneur and you have clients. Your number one client is the client that you're working with, but your number one client is your boss, and your number one job is to make their day. Because I have had projects where on paper, I did everything I was supposed to do. On paper, the project went well, but I sidestepped my boss or I worked over my boss or I didn't include my boss. And that person got his or her feelings hurt or saw me as insubordinate or whatever else the story was. And it ended up ruining the whole thing, ruining either the relationship or that position or that project. So I have learned that even the most difficult people, specifically people that you report to, your job is to help them win, to help them win the day. And when you do that, often what you find out, this is the hard truth, what you find out is the job they really want you to do and the job you get hired for are different jobs. And the quicker you can figure out what they actually want you to do as opposed to what you were maybe initially hired for, the more successful you'll be the more you'll enjoy your day, the more rewarded and valued you will get and be. And I think it's a better situation when you can actually figure that out. But I I see too many employees that I coach that are kind of sitting, like kind of stewing, you know, in their own resentment about their boss. And my recommendation is, hey, your boss is your boss. We have different bosses over the course of our life. So this is not a forever situation, but your boss really is the gatekeeper of your dreams. There is an opportunity that your boss is sitting on right now and that you could have, but he or she is not offering it to you because you have not delivered for them. So the best thing that you can do is to help them win, A, because I believe it's just the right thing to do, but B, because it will open up opportunities. And if you really have a boss that's hard to work with, the best thing you can do is help them win because you will get promoted away from working with that person eventually. (laughs) So that's the fastest way to get out of working with them is to actually do a really good job for them. And I love how you say that they're your most important client. One of the things that I teach people is that no matter who you are, you've got so many different customers. And one of your customers is your leadership chain, the people that you report to. And then a key behavior for creating a customer experience is to empathize with your customers. Mm. And this is something that I learned later in my career than I would have liked to have, but too many people never learn it. So I'm thankful that I have learned it. Yes. When you think about your boss as your client and you start to really empathize with them and you put yourself in their shoes, 
they've got lots of challenges and they've got lots of internal struggles, things that they're trying to deal with. And they have things that they need to accomplish. And when you start to look at, well, okay, if those are their challenges, if that's what they struggle with internally, what can I do to serve them? What can I do to help them to accomplish those? That's it right there. That's going to help you win. It's hard because it requires humility. It requires often biting your tongue (laughs) or even maybe not standing up for yourself, feeling like you're not standing up for yourself. But really, if you think about it, it's you becoming the chess player instead of the chess piece. You're thinking three moves ahead and it's actually the strategic way to navigate that situation. One of the things that I've really been working on over the last year or two is figuring out how to not get heated. For example, I'm in a debate or even an argument or a conversation with somebody. And when I find myself getting frustrated, when I find myself getting heated, what can I do to slow down, to maintain composure, and to think strategically as opposed to thinking emotionally? Because that reactivity, I mean, in our cancel culture that we live in now, where you say oh one thing and now you're not allowed to say anything else anymore, right? Where your business is what you're supposed to go away because you said this one thing that somehow people were against, or yeah. somehow you didn't follow this specific rule that somebody invented. We live in such a reactionary society, a vitriolic society right now. And what can we do to be a little bit more strategic, be a little bit more measured? This is me preaching to myself right now. Oh, if I had a time machine, Matt, if I could go back five or 10 years and say, Brian, instead of freaking out or flaming out or whatever it is, using these words, if you could just slow down and think about what's the move after the move, what are two or three moves from now, I would have handled situations completely differently and maybe even turned relationships around to my advantage, but also to help my family, to help improve my career instead of seeing things just in the moment, seeing them a little bit more long-term. Right. And to take that emotion out of the moment too. Oh, exactly. One of the lessons that I learned, I think it it was about six or seven years ago, and this has served me so well in so many instances, professionally, but also my personal life too, especially in those moments where you're in a heated debate or where somebody has done me wrong based on my perspective, I assume positive intent. Yes. I assume that that person did not set out to make my life miserable that day. I assume that their intentions were positive. And if I can make that assumption, then I realize, oh, this may have been a mistake or they may not have realized what their actions have caused. And that helps to take the emotion out of it really quickly and then helps us both to start thinking those three steps ahead. Oh, I love that. You know, it's something I often see and, and I struggle with as well is the concept of should. For example, we're shoulding on each other. This person <laughs> should do this, right? We should all over our wife, all over our bosses, all over ourselves. And we're covered in a big pile of should. Yeah. And instead... Who are we to say what people should do? Like how arrogant 
is that? I have no idea what that person's lived experience is. I have no idea what their home life is like or their background or the education that they've had or their exposure and learning to have more empathy and realizing that just because I believe they should do something doesn't mean that they should, right? Because they're a different person in a different situation. And I actually see this often with foo, family of origin, right? We, we foo on each oh. other. We, we should on the people that came before us. For example, I, one of my coaching clients had his feelings hurt recently because it was a major wedding anniversary for he and his wife. And he was upset at both his in-laws and his parents that they never reached out that day. And what he was doing, and this is how I coached him, I said, you are shooting all over them. You have made them wrong. You have found them guilty and convicted them because you had expectations of what they should do and they never did. And instead, what if you could turn that around and think, okay, I'm feeling that way, but maybe there's somebody in my life right now who is shooting on me. And how can you kind of reverse that and go, wow, since I'm feeling hurt about somebody not reaching out to me during a day that I would consider important, is there somebody right now that's having an important day that I could reach out to? And that's just a really simple action step. Instead of getting mad and sitting in that, like, why didn't they reach out to me on my anniversary? Go to Facebook, see whose birthday it is, and go write five notes to people who recently had a birthday and just say, hey, happy birthday. I'm lucky to know you. I'm glad you're alive. I'm really honored that we've been able to do cool things together. Have an awesome year. Turn that around in a positive way, and the benefits will be immeasurable. And if you can even take that maybe like a step further, go back to your concept of yes. the human manual and not the yes. general human manual, the manual that each specific person has, That's maybe right. recognize somebody with a small token or a gift based on whatever anniversary or birthday or milestone they have, or so somebody good. who's made a big accomplishment in their career or even in their professional life, write them a thank you note or write them a note with words of encouragement and words of affirmation. That's so good. I love that. In your book, you talk about the concept of the triangle of credibility. Can you talk to me more about that here? Absolutely. So the idea here is if I think we all have those industry leaders, right? Those people we would love to work with. Maybe Matt, for you, it's, oh, how could I land that podcast guest that would just take my podcast right. to the next level? If I could have X, right? This certain person who you're probably thinking about right now, if this person could come on my show, my show would just go to the next level. Or maybe for you listening, it's in your industry. It's if that conference planner could book me as a speaker at the conference, oh, I'm convinced my business would go to the next level. Or if that big client would sign a contract and I was the one responsible for landing that deal, oh, wow, my career and our business would go to the next level. Well, whoever that person is, instead of going after that person first, back it up a little bit and think, how can I establish more credibility in that person's eyes? And if you, you kind of draw out a triangle, I'm taking my index finger and my thumb on both hands, kind of putting them together like a triangle. So you're on the left and you're trying to reach out to somebody on the right. And the way you do it is by serving a mutual connection. It's a really simple idea, but it's so powerful. Who is it that you know that they know? And how can you help that person win? How can you establish credibility and deliver service and value, show up and serve that person? So as an example, I have many in the book from my own life, but one person I really wanted to work for was Michael Hyatt. And if you don't know, Michael Hyatt's a best-selling author. Oh, yeah. He's a business coach and leader. He's just an amazing guy. And I really wanted to work with him, but he's hard to get in front of because he's busy and he's got a big team. And 
pretty well known. So he's a, a lot of gatekeepers in his life. So as I looked at it, like my dream would be to work for Mike, who am I connected to that's connected to Mike? And so I found Dan Miller, this career oh, nice. coach, this leader, the speaker. And I began a relationship with Dan Miller, not just to get to Mike, although that was, I mean, just candidly, that was part of my intention. But really it was like, wouldn't it be cool if I work with Dan Miller? Dan Miller is awesome. So then I showed up and served. I talk about that more in the book, that concept of you go to the conference, you pretend you're a volunteer, you act as if you're on the team, you do whatever you can to deliver extra value. And I did that for Dan. And as a result of working with Dan, that built up that triangle of credibility. Because when I started wanting to work with Michael and and we had an opportunity to work together, who do you think he asks first? He asks people in his network what do you think of this Brian guy? Like, is this guy legit? Does he do good work? And he had a a really close friend in Dan who would say, oh yeah, Brian's done projects with us and I highly recommend him. That happens with me now in my career. This happened yesterday. Somebody wanted to work on our team. As we're interviewing this person on Zoom, I search him on Facebook. I mean, this is real life right here. I search him on Facebook and I see, oh, there's a mutual connection. So I reach out to the mutual connection, somebody that I know, and I said, hey, we're talking to this person about a job. What do you think? that person had an opportunity to either add credibility or to take away credibility. And actually, (laughs) the sad story is this person actually took away credibility, said, "Oh no, yeah, it actually happened literally yesterday. I said, you know, I I know this person, he or she, I'm trying to be really vague, he or she has some strong characteristics. Do you want to know the negative? That's how this person responded. I said, of course I want to know the negative. And then this person shared two stories with me over Facebook while I'm on a Zoom call. And I went, oh, that speaks to true character right there. So that was a, it was a red flag. Now, I didn't only hire based on one person's opinion. Like there was other things of why we move forward with a different candidate. Right. But that is happening to you every day. Every day you go out in the marketplace, every day you post online, every day you're trying to get a new client, that potential client is asking around about you. So think about it that way, the triangle of credibility. How can you serve the people that are in your life right now because not just for them, but also for the future, knowing that people will ask after you finish business together, what was that like? What, what did he charge? What was it like to work with him? Was he responsive? Was he kind? Did he do what he said he would do? All of these things become these echoes, this reputation that precedes us, these ripples in the water before we ever have a chance to actually have a conversation with that potential client. That's why it's so important to get those 360 degree feedback assessments so you can understand yourself. That's right. If I were applying for and interviewing for a job and somebody in my sphere was acting as a reference, Mm -hmm. what would they say? So I'd love to know what they'd say about me. And if there's any criticism, how can I go ahead and start handling that right now? That's right. I work with a business coach, uh, Joseph Warren. And Joe, Joe says, you can't always prevent the bridge from being burned, but you can rebuild it quickly. And the idea there is, There are misunderstandings that happen. There are political situations. There are relational situations. There are timing situations where you blow it. Even if it wasn't your fault, it can still be your responsibility. And you can can loop back. And a true leader, what a true leader does is closes the gap between the mess up and the fix up. So when you mess up, are you going to sit in it for a month or a year or wait until you happen to bump into that person in three years from now? Or are you going to send a quick text message after the meeting and say, hey, Sally, listen, it's Brian. I know that meeting got a little weird, got a little heated. And I think I just said a couple dumb things. Will you forgive me? I think you're great. I would love to work with you. 
but I just want you to know that if I came across as kind of a jerk today, I'm just hearing my own words and realizing I could have said those words a little kinder and a little nicer. Would you forgive me? Are we cool? I probably send one of those every two or three days, at least two or three a week. (laughs) And it just cleans it up. We're going to mess up. But a true leader is somebody who's willing to clean up the mess ups as soon as possible. And it shows that you recognize that there was a mess up. That's right. Not just saying, well, that was me and this is how I operate. But it's like, you know what? This was kind of messed up. I made a mistake. Please forgive me. And here's what I'm going to do next time. That's right. Love it. People love to hear that. So as we're discussing this, it makes sense that putting people first is simply the right thing to do. At the same time, there's actual value to us when we put others first. So explain to me the benefits that come to us when we put people first. The benefits are absolutely incredible. I would say the number one benefit is that you don't feel like you're just a solopreneur anyway anymore, that you're trying to do it all on your own, that you have champions that you are shoulder to shoulder with. And specifically, I can think about my marriage. We've been married for 18 years now. And there was literally a decade where I was trying to chase my own dream and Julie would be the last to know. She'd hear me on a phone call talking about some new project and she'd be like, what's this new project you're talking about? And what I realized is your spouse is not the enemy of your dreams, but your spouse can actually be your superpower. Instead of your kryptonite, your your spouse can be your superpower. So as just a real tangible example, starting a, a new kind of fitness plan. I'm doing this thing 75 hard, which is like 75 day challenge to drink a bunch of water and do exercises and read, read a book. And there's a whole list of rules to this thing. Well, I, I saw your water jug earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to drink out. That's why I'm halfway through and we're at just around noon right now. So yeah, that's part of the deal. So in the past, I would have just started it, probably posted it all on Facebook, like, hey, I'm doing this thing if you want to join me, but not even talk to Julie about it. And I'm learning, wait a second, what if I start with her? What if I said to her, hey, honey, I'm thinking about doing something. Have you thought about doing something? Maybe we could do something cool together. So she and I sat down, went on YouTube, watched a bunch of videos of this thing, 75 Hard, and talked about it and talked about the pros and cons of me doing it. And is she going to do it with me? And just slowing down and knee to knee, eye to eye, talking about it. Now she's a champion of it. She literally, last night, she saw my empty jug of water on the counter and she goes, you did it. And I was like, Matt, that just filled me up. It made me feel so great that she's championing my dreams because I started with her. I included her in the process. And we can do that in our marriages. We can do that in our work. We can do that with our kids. I do this with my kids. I'm like, hey guys, I had to speak at an online conference on Saturday night. And normally Saturday is dadder day. It's, it's oh. kid day. It's not a day for conferences. And especially in the time of COVID, when I'm not traveling, my conferences are from my office. So I told him, hey guys, I'm really excited about this conference. Can you pray for me? Because it's a big deal. I'm kind of nervous about it. And I started with them. We talked about it. We included them in it. And it was at night. So that time when they're getting ready for bed and normally they'd be a little loud and a little rambunctious. Instead of me coming in the hallway and going, shut up everybody. <laughs> you know, I'm, don't you know dad's on a call right now? Like, this is important right? They knew that it was important. They were included in it. They got to ask questions about it. And so then the next morning, my 10-year-old said, hey, daddy, how'd it go? Like, think about that. That's what it means to start with your people. Because when you bring people along with you, they become the champion of your dreams. And I believe you accomplish so much more, including them, than telling them about it later. Absolutely. I started that with my family and my kids 
a few years ago in my career and in my previous career in the corporate environment, my kids, even at young ages, you know, then they were five and seven, they still understood the work that I was doing and they would champion me, you know, in the morning and at night, like, well, how did it go? How did this happen? So I love that. And they help hold me accountable as well. So sometimes I'll be interacting with my family or my kids and my son will call me out and he'll say, yeah, dad, you're not providing a simple experience right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, kids. So your people can be your champion and they can also help hold you accountable. They help you be successful in what you have to do. Brian, this has been fantastic. I've learned so much from you, but where can people go to learn more from you and learn more on how they can put their people first? Well, Matt, thanks so much for having me. There's three quick resources I point you to. Number one, the book. It's on Audible. I read it so you can listen to it. There's trials, that kind of thing, going to Audible. So the book's called Start With Your People. If you want to reach out to me, go in and check out what we offer. Just head over to my myname.com, right? So Brian Dixon, B-R-I-A-N-D-I-X-O-N.com. But my favorite thing, my favorite thing is I would love to hear from you because there's probably one area, maybe one relationship or one concept that we talked about today that you're a little stuck in. So go find me over on Instagram. I'm just Brian J. Dixon on Instagram. You can find me there and send me a message. I promise I'll respond. It might take me a day or two, but I promise I'll respond. We can begin the conversation because I really believe if the result of this conversation today is you, just one little part of your life where you're a little less stuck than you were before you listened, that would be success. Excellent. Wow. And thank you for offering that out to people to be able to reach out and share some of their challenges directly. Of course. It's one of my favorite things I get to do. Oh, how cool. All right. Last quick question before we go. If you were to create a soundtrack for Start With Your People, what songs would you include? I love this question. So I I did a little bit of research and looking through different playlists. So Number one, you got to go classic with the Beatles. The Beatles have one of my favorite songs. It's actually a song I played at my first concert ever when I was like 17 years old, and it's called We Can Work It Out. Oh, you've nice. got to have that attitude that whatever it is, you're going to see my way, I'm going to see your way, I'm going to see my way, you see your way. Like That's the, basically the lyrics of the song. At the end of the day, you can work it out. If you believe we can work it out, that's where it all starts. In our company, Hope Writers, we quote Marie Forleo. We say, everything is figureoutable. Right. If you believe you can figure it out, then that's the beginning of that attitude. Number two, Macklemore. Macklemore and Ryan Lewis have a song called Can't Hold Us Down. And it's just like this idea, right? You love it, right? (laughs) So fun. That's motivation right there. It's so motivational. It's like whatever you're facing, like, no, they can't hold us down. We're going to survive. We're going to get through this, which leads to, well, what are you going to do? You're going to do whatever it takes by Imagine Dragons. I love this song. Whatever it takes, Imagine Dragons. That's what you're going to do. You're going to show up. You're going to serve. You're going to push through walls for each other and you're going to be successful. We'd mentioned Dan Miller. Dan Miller has for years in his podcast used as a soundtrack, a great song when it comes to your company, which is called Taking Care of Business. Because sometimes <laughs> you just got to take care of business. It's a song by Bachman Turner Overdrive, BTO from, from oh, yeah. Canada. So love that song, Taking Care of Business. And that's number four. And finally, number five, I'm going to go classic. I grew up listening to 70s folk rock because my dad was a 70s folk rock kind of guy. And uh, there's a classic song by James Taylor called Shower the People. Shower the people you love with love. Show them the way that you feel. And that's what I've learned to do as a leader. I've learned to be more vulnerable, more authentic. I literally, I cried on a call two days ago talking about our customers and talking about what my team means to me. 
And you could just see it. And they told me later, like that kind of vulnerability means a lot. When we shower the people we love with love, when we show them the way that we feel, they will run through walls for you. They will stay up late and wake up early because they know that you are caring about them, that you're supporting them, and that you're in this together. And it's a lot easier to be taking care of business when you do that. So good, man. So good. Awesome. Man, I love that soundtrack. That is great. And it's motivating too. Well, Brian, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today. This is fun, Matt. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Brian Dixon. So go check out his book, Start With Your People. Check out his lessons on briandixon.com. But also, take him up on his offer. Shoot him a message on Instagram and let him know how his message helped you today. He'd love to hear it. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. It'll make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes, like the next one featuring Michael Brenner. Michael's the CEO of Marketing Insider Group. He's one of the top business keynote speakers and marketing influencers. And he's the author of Mean People Suck, How Empathy Leads to Bigger Profits and a Better Life. If you've been following me for a while, you know I preach empathy as one of the key behaviors in providing simple experiences. So I'm excited to be able to dig right into that with Michael. So go ahead and subscribe and you'll automatically get Michael's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.